Hey guys, welcome back to the Mind Refinery Podcast. As usual, I am your host, Kyle Bodanis. Before we get into the show, I wanted to talk a little bit about what's been going on in the U.S. All of us were horrified by what we saw happen to George Floyd. The fact it continues is an obscenity and an indictment of a system that just doesn't recognize the importance of black people. We think it's important as Canadians we take time to reflect on ourselves, though. There is a troubling misconception that we do not have systemic racism in our country. This was reflected in Ontario Premier Doug Ford's statements on Monday. For me, patriotism is an overused statement. It's not flags and fireworks and blind allegiance. True patriotism comes from trying to live up to your national myths, not thoughtlessly peddling them. In our country, statistics surrounding things like mass incarceration, upward mobility, child mortality rates, and life expectancy all point to a system that does not protect people of color as it does those with white skin. We have police brutality in this country, we have white nationalism, we've had segregation. Prior to the British banning slavery across the empire, we had slave owners in this country and in our beloved city. In fact, in Toronto, we have streets named after those slaveholders. Know your history. This company is proud to be Canadian, but it's dangerous for us to assume that racism is just an American problem. It's not. So before you go full-on complacent, think about it. Think about the people of color in your life with their head under that cop's knee. That shit happens here, too. All this is without even touching on our treatment of our indigenous people and our lack of decisive efforts towards reconciliation. Our suggestion? Donate to black causes, support black businesses, and get into the streets. But the big thing, the number one thing you can do to start this whole thing, get informed. Read, watch documentaries, go on YouTube and watch lectures listen to people of color, we guarantee it'll not only help the community and our society, but it could awaken something within you. This week on the Minor Farming Podcast, we're talking about the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance. I hope you all watched it. It was incredible. We held off on dropping this podcast because we wanted to get out the Adrian Forte interview uh, to coincide with his ass kickery on Top Chef Canada. Um, we had a lot of fun with this one. Hope you enjoy it. And now, without further ado, here's the show. Now, we didn't want to talk about Michael Jordan and whether or not he was a serial killer level competitive psychopath or, you know, what this meant for his legacy. A lot of people have done that already. It's kind of what everyone has been doing, especially on sports radio. Uh, our premise was simple. Assemble the five most entertaining or poignant interview subjects across all 10 episodes of the documentary to help create the last dance all doc team. Here, my refinery creatives, John Neal and Andrew Vaney. So what we're going to do is we're going to start with our honorable mentions and then uh, begin going through. Actually, you know what, guys? Let's start with, first of all, what do we, and just overall high level here, what do we think of the documentary? Uh, I loved it. Um, super entertaining documentary. Uh, just it was, a, it was a real page turner of a documentary. Yeah, fully agreed. It's just the most entertaining thing I've seen in a lot. And uh, I think especially now that it sat in for a few weeks or had the chance to sit in, sink in, the, just the access. It's, it's so rare that a, that a documentary gets to uh, have a character make a statement and then immediately get five perspectives of five other people involved. And so the fact that absolutely everybody was in this documentary just really brought it to another level. And kind of what uh, John said about the page turner, I thought the pacing is just incredible. Yeah. Really, 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 really great watch. 
I absolutely loved it. Uh, it. For me, a lot of nostalgia. I mean, I was kind of watching it like, uh, you know, some of these, you know, some of our friends who had already watched Game of Thrones, you know, sorry, read the books of, for Game of Thrones and how they were like anticipating what people were going to, you know, how they were going to react to things uh, because, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of source material for this. Um, uh, the Jordan Rules is a big one too, is a big one. I thought it was fantastic. It was a great hang. That was the big thing. It's like, you know, I genuinely was looking forward to every week's episode. And that's, for me, the hallmark of a good show where I need to watch it right away. Like, we don't get too many things like that anymore. We're, it's, we're in this binge watch. There's, no, there's not a lot of event, either television or streaming or whatever, right? That's why it was kind of cool about Game of Thrones before, is that you had that event television. And now <laughs> it's like... Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, 90 Day Fiancés uh, <laughs> did go last yeah. night. I'm pretty sure it came close to breaking the internet. Yeah, you know, I mean... Not that I personally am into that, but uh, some of these events still happen. I feel like shows like 90 Day Fiancé are going to give me 90 Day Weed and Alcohol Addiction, um, <laughs> which is more like... 90 Day Program? 90 Day Program. <laughs> um, so, okay, guys, let's let's... We like the documentary. That's good. Uh, let's yeah. get into our honorable mentions when we we're going through this. Now, one that came up and was very close was uh, the heart-wrenching story of Steve Kerr. So, my in my opinion, this was kind of like one of the emotional touchstones of the whole of the whole series. Uh, Steve Kerr's well beloved and uh, so well spoken. Generally, seems like a cool guy. And then you, you know. If you weren't in the know, then, you know, a lot of people didn't know about this whole his dad, like, dying in a bombing in Beirut. And I, I thought that he was really good. Um, the parts where he's talking about getting in a fight with Jordan are, the ba like, are fucking hilarious as well. Um, what do you guys think about, you guys think about Kerr? Steve, I, what I liked about Steve Kerr was just the, and just the documentary in general, did a really good job of exploring the backstories of all these poignant side characters so steve kerr was it was just interesting to me because i didn't really know much about him outside of him from his coaching career with the golden state warriors i wasn't as familiar with the with his tenure with the bulls um and yeah i knew nothing about his story so i i just it was cool just to kind of see sort of his perspective on everything being i guess more of a grunt player you know, not really the superstar, just part of the supporting cast. I don't know. I just really thought his story was super interesting because I didn't really know much about it. And just the way I guess he told it and his just his ex whole experience with the Bulls was, was just really cool. So John and I had Steve Kerr on our list. Vanny, what kept Steve Kerr off of your list? Um, <laughs> mostly, I think, because I knew you guys were going to pick it. And uh, a lot of people were, were talking about him in there but uh at the same time i think i really enjoyed all of his commentary one he's just incredibly articulate and um and given that this documentary is full of some pretty huge egos and and super athletes and stuff like that his ability to articulate uh how a situation emotionally affected him uh really stuck out to me and that was perfect way um like like everything, this documentary is, of course, centered around Jordan, even though it's the last dance of the Bulls. It was very much like that, that it was still all around Jordan. And so Kerr's uh, explanation of those experiences really helped 
paint a more, um, I say, I think a more gray picture, like in terms of just not black and white. Like it was, it was very hate sometimes, love sometimes, you know, outrageous sometimes. And and this guy had to stand up to Jordan too. I mean, that's kind of like how, that's how, well, not like, that is how he got his respect. You know, Michael Jordan's like, he's like an alpha predator. So he comes up to you and, you know, he fucks with you. And if you don't stand up to him, it's like he knows you're weak. And it's the same thing with Bill... Cartwright is like Bill Cartwright really is was the only one who stood up to him too I thought that in terms of Bill Cartwright they underplayed his story because his whole thing was he was actually the leader of that Bulls team uh, the first three title teams uh, before he went to play baseball and the guys had massive respect for him but for whatever reason Jordan just kept talking shit about him and Bill Cartwright was just like, listen, uh, if you're going to keep doing that, I'm, you know, I will literally injure you in practice. <laughs> and Jordan just, I, I think that's the thing that gets them all sentimental, being threatened. So I want to move on to Larry Bird, because both had Larry, you know, I thought Larry Bird was, a, was kind of interesting in this documentary. Yeah, like, I mean, I like, I love Larry Bird. Like, I just have a, as far as like, discussing basketball and, and even the history of basketball and, and the magic and bird era, you know, the just super serious. It just takes uh, basketball very seriously. Right. He's just one of those guys. And I just, any time that he's in something, I'll, I'll watch it. I just love Larry bird. There's just something about that guy that I love now that he's also done coaching and playing. I think he's a little bit more, uh, a little bit more open to, to sort of discussing things, even just humor, like just even with humor and stuff like that too. I, um, I really like, so throughout at the beginning of the documentary, I, I watched it uh, with my wife and she didn't really know who Larry Bird or Magic Johnson was. So they're like, there's like this almost Ascension story. There's a million sub stories in this doc, but there's like this Ascension story of kind of Jordan talking about like when I'm going to be at that level or with those guys, I want to be on that because there were the two living greats that were still around the league and doing these things. And, um, and when they showed Bird and Johnson on the screen, she was just like, who's the old man? Like who's that GM sitting on the screen? Like just no idea. And, uh, I just think he looks as ever awesome uh, in this as he as he does. Just this weird kind of curmudgeonly straight shooting Larry Bird. Yeah, I like his epic shit talking. I mean, like obviously, <laughs> right? yeah. So I say I replace straight shooting with epic shit talking. Yeah, yeah. I think that's more, like, more accurate. Like calling this like. <laughs> call these like saying don't pick like don't start with that shit and like fuck you and like and then also you have to realize like for his ability to keep his sense of humor which i'm sure is fueled by numerous titles uh with the celtics i mean this guy was beaten by jordan as a player i uh, had to deal with jordan as a player and then i mean that indiana pacers team he was the coach of yeah i mean that team for me was probably the closest to actually beating the then, team. They were the one. Yeah. They were the ones who were put together to do that. I though I think literally the difference is is that Michael Jordan has a fifth year, like a sixth year, and can take it to another level. But I mean, like that was like Mark Jackson, Rich Smith, Reggie Miller. Like it was a pretty intense team. And then like the dude from French Lick, Indiana, fucking. <laughs> I mean, that makes the most sense that that is his team because it was yeah. a curmudgeonly team. Uh, yeah. 
we I love talk that, a lot that of that stuff story too. I wasn't really uh, aware of what was going on in, in the NBA at that time. It's probably a little too young. And just that whole sub story, I think because the Bulls were so dominant, my memory of this, of, of both uh, three Pete's, was that they were just unstoppable and it was it was more like this inevitability that they were going to win and while there obviously was that i didn't necessarily realize how difficult and how close uh they came to not doing that i think that that's one of the things that was really good that they put together about putting together this documentary is that there's obviously a recency bias with certain things especially in terms of like you know how you, your interpretation of like professional basketball and the NBA is because it's often seen through the lens of LeBron James or Kobe Bryant because that's when people I mean realistically Kobe Bryant enters the league of the late 90s I you know and uh, LeBron uh you know drafted in 2003 so you know a lot of people they didn't realize all this stuff was happening because the really the only thing that kind of transcended basketball was Jordan's personality himself but, I mean, a lot of people don't know the ins and outs of the Utah Jazz. A lot of people don't know how Steve Kerr landed a winning shot in in the series. They didn't know about the whole the whole drama around it and um, how, you know, the, the opponents, who they were, and what it meant for them. Like, I'm sure Clyde Drexler could have done without the entire world knowing that his career was defined by not being as good as Michael Jordan for the rest of his life <laughs> after the finals loss. Yeah. Did they? I can't remember. I, I don't think they had an interview with Clyde Drexler. No, they didn't. They didn't. I, if I was him, I wouldn't have done it. That's what Carl Malone did do. Did anybody see this little interview with Carl Malone afterwards that he did? It was ESPN was pushing it. It was like him smoking a cigar, and they're asking, Why is Carl? I, I, I will share it with you if you haven't seen it. What, they're like, You know, why didn't you do it? Why didn't you asking about Jordan? He's like, like Why do I have to? Yeah, he's well, like, he like exactly. He's like, why do I? What's why do? Why is that something I need to do? They beat us, and that's it. And like, what else is there to say about? As we move down this list of honorable mentions, we have, and I'm really surprised that none of us really put this on our primary list. I mean, did I put it on my primary list? Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas was obviously the largest lightning rod of controversy, criticism in this, especially since, again, it's this idea where there's a whole generation of kids don't know. I mean, there's a whole generation of kids who don't understand that Isaiah Thomas was likely one of the best point guards. Sorry, not likely. Is the one top three of all time point guard. I mean, I think you're looking at Magic Johnson and then him. Um, he was he was everywhere in the 90s yeah. like you didn't have to be a basketball fan to know who isaiah thomas was yeah. you like just he was, he, listen when you're on fresh prince <laughs> yeah you know, right exactly yeah i forgot yeah. about that yeah <laughs> there you go it's like yeah there's a problem for isaiah thomas it's in his name is will smith <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i think that and like the isaiah like the isaiah thomas stuff i'm i first of all i was really surprised that he went and did I mean, it's points to him for actually coming out and doing that interview because that's super uncomfortable. And, like, this was an opportunity to play on one of the best teams ever assembled. And, you know, he got sh- he got supposedly shut out because of, you know, relationship issues. I mean, mm-hmm. is that – do you think is that – do you think that's a legit, legitimate reason to keep someone off a team? No. So you think, he got, so you think he got screwed? Yeah. I mean, well, if – let's – I mean – I understand that it's basketball and that perhaps the thinking around how to assemble a team and how to deal with egos and all that stuff 
might come into play more so than let's say on a hockey team, just as another example. Um, on paper, it certainly seems that way though. Like if you were to put that team on paper and be like, Oh yeah, Isaiah Thomas is not going to be on the team on paper. You'd probably be like, what really? Why? Yeah. And just from a skill standpoint, like just from a playing standpoint alone, I think you'd be like, what? So what I kind of liked about all of Isaiah's parts, actually, I liked a lot about it. Um, when different people are talking about him, you can hear this kind of reserve. You can almost tell who spoke up and who was afraid and maybe have later reconciled that fear and got to know him or their friendship grew or professional relationship grew beyond that. But Isaiah Thomas was not afraid of Michael Jordan. Neither is Richie Miller. And I think we're going to talk about that later because we all have him on our list. But you can, that really comes through even now when he's talking about those interactions, whatever, there's bad blood there but he the fear was not part of it yeah the other thing i that i liked about him in this too is he's a very well-spoken guy and he does seem rather genuine for someone that has had all of this controversy about him and jordan and you know just the way they played and 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 all this stuff He, he seems like a pretty genuine person on camera at least Right. I can't speak to what he's like behind closed doors. It is, are there other examples, Kyle? Like, did other people have professional problems with him on the court and stuff like that? Well, was he I'm, known? Was he known as the big asshole? I guess to put it. Well, it's hard to it's hard to tell because he was with the biggest asshole team of all time the uh, <laughs> yeah. the the Detroit the Bad Boy Pistons. I mean, like it's. I mean, I guess compared to Lame Beer, he is a <laughs> yeah. uh, less of an asshole. But like, I mean, well, that was the whole thing behind it is that I believe it was Michael Wilbon was trying to say that it was multiple people on the team who were having problems with Isaiah Thomas, and then they, and then I mean, he kind of had to go on social network a few days later and kind of be like, and that isn't the case. Um, I think if you're Jordan and Scotty, that's an like you know, what I mean, I think I I wouldn't be surprised if it was just Jordan and Pippen and then people being like around them saying, okay, well, if it's going to fuck up chemistry of probably the two best players on the team, Mm -hmm. then it's probably not a good idea. Um, I mean, I wouldn't want to piss off Michael Jordan, but at the end of the day, I mean, that team, I guess there's arguments about who would come off. I mean, for me, the only one is Mullen who could really come off, but, the arg- but then people make the argument, well, you need shooting and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty tough. But, I mean, then again, do you need another point guard of – you got Magic Johnson, but at the end of the day, there's injuries. So, it, it, for me, just given the fact that, you know, Isaiah Thomas is probably the second best point guard of all time, you – well, yeah, John Stockton. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Well, it's it, listen, maybe. it's like – it's literally like assembling a Team Canada team for hockey and your B and C team would still be the best, right? Like, it's basically the equivalent of subbing someone in. Well, you would have had, at that like point, that. you would have had the three best point guards of all time. Exactly. So it's like, you know, you can debate it all you want. I don't think necessarily his involvement with the team would have made them necessarily any better or, or any worse. Do they it's need just, to be better? Like, well exactly like, yeah how, like how good do they need to be yeah i know like, like how how like do you not think your team has enough do you not think you're bringing enough firepower to the olympics yeah. right now mm-hmm. uh you probably you have like three of the top five <laughs> players of all time on fucking the, yeah. on the team 
Um, it's honestly pretty reminiscent of America's approach to war with the smoke. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, we're invading Granada. Can you can someone, someone fuel those Tomahawk cruise missiles? Yeah. We better bring two, three aircraft carriers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Invading, Gren- invading Granada is like invading my neighborhood. It's like, it's just, you know what I mean? Like, it's just not, uh, like, calm down, America. Uh, okay, yeah. one important guy, uh, bu- uh, Gus. Gus, um, this story I thought was crazy. And this is kind of the counterbalance to a lot of people who are like, Jordan's an asshole, where I think he's an asshole when it comes to basketball. Sure. Right? Like... And winning and all that stuff. Exactly. And, and But if you were just shooting the shit with him, he's probably cool. Oh, I'm sure he's a great ball breaker. Yeah, but this It'd is a, like... fun to have a conversation but with. The, but the Gus story, first of all, I had no clue about that. And mm-hmm. just really great. Like, really, really, really nice. Uh, and, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, for those that don't remember who Gus is, it's the head of his security detail. Yes, thank you for providing right? that. Gus. Um, yeah, no, that, that part was just super genuine. I just love how... He developed a close relationship with his head of security. That's such a Michael Jordan thing it's to also, do. You know what else is a Michael Jordan thing to do? Just that, like, it was all dedicated to to winning and to basketball. But, like, the resourcefulness, his dad would serve this purpose in his life, and he was not done playing basketball, so he, like, needed to seek out other other, yeah. uh, you know what I mean? Have that, have that social or that familial uh comfort or whatever in his life in order to keep doing these amazing things so then he finds this old dude and and confides in him and i think we all need that and that's again one of these things that really shows that regardless of how superhuman he was this is still still just gus is part gus is part of a nine minute stretch in the entire documentary where jordan seems human and uh what i like is they create they shape peaks and valleys using that um yeah, and I say like the humanizing is important. I'm glad that they dropped those in, but I'm I'm glad it didn't get too like saccharine with it. You know what I mean? Because it, you don't want to, you don't like, you don't want to try to canonize this guy. I'm really glad that it wasn't like that. I'm glad that you know they really went at the things that were in the press, but then they like you know they created that contrast by showing him with kids. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Showing him with fans, never kind of saying no. You know what I mean? Except when it was that two-week period after he testified in the court trial, you know, then he was like, okay, I need, like, he stepped away from the media for a few weeks, and it really provides that contrast of a guy who you think you know, and then there's these little moments and his relationships with people, and you start realizing, okay, this is a guy who misses his dad and needed someone to fill that role, as you were saying. Um, So, I I mean, I thought it was good. I thought it was a really cool uh, emotional touchstone of the thing. Um, Another side note, Oh, side note. Yeah. Kind of created Jordan kind of created that like do you notice that how he never said no? Like these uh, the, the modern day athletes so many of them they know it's part of their job now it's instituted. At that time I don't know if there was that same framework and expectation and stuff written into your contract about talking to the media and all that stuff and uh and Jordan just did it dutifully. Like huge and, and 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 for that, like that's that's beyond championships and stuff. That's about growing the popularity of the entire sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think he kind and of. He re- I think he realized that. that. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you're. I, I think that's what I think. I, how would I know? But that uh, it kind of shone through that he realized that he was an ambassador, uh, an ambassador for basketball. 
And, yeah, uh, and he took up the mantle. He took up to the mantle of you know Larry. Uh, took up the mantle of Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. What they did for a game because those two guys essentially saved basketball and mm-hmm. made it you know super marketable again because people don't realize basketball used to appear on TV taped hours later after the game. Yeah, and this wow. is playoff games too. Like before, wow. they had national TV contracts and you know all that stuff, and the league looked like it could go under. And then you had, you know, these rising young stars who kind of defined where the league was going, captured people's imaginations. And then as they were starting to get older in the late 80s, you know, and especially early 90s, you know, it's who's going to replace that? Who's going to be that? And then you have this guy comes out of nowhere and just completely dominates the sport. And um, I, I, I think any of these moments where he gets to like we get to see him as not that guy you know, out of the public limelight and not putting on the face. Cause you gotta remember, it's like at that point too, some people have worded it as no one's given a black athlete, the keys to the car. You know what I mean? Yeah. They've like, this guy is really the most market at that point, especially the most marketable athlete of all time and is the most marketable athlete of all time. And like, it's to maintain that there isn't a, a there's a lot of pressure people don't look at. And I like that they, again, they find those moments. I, I want to move on, though, uh, to uh, Barack Hussein Obama, yep. uh, President of the United States, which it was great to see him. Um, great to see him. He looks good. Uh, he's aging like Dr. J. Dr. J <laughs> is aging very, very, very well. He looks good. And it's like, I, I'm, I feel good. He actually kind of looks younger than his last uh, term uh, in office because his last yeah. term was a complete fucking disaster. He's uh, not in office. He's wearing on him. <laughs> yeah, no, he just guy aged like eight. This guy came in smooth, and I'm like, come out rugged. Yeah, come out rugged. Now he looks all healthy again for sure. <laughs> I love Barack's part so much, albeit short. He just he does what he, only he he can. Like I, in terms of like people just speaking and providing thought on, and I'm excited that we now that he's not the president, he gets to honestly speak on a lot more issues. This guy is the Michael Jordan of just like this calm, collected, confident, even keeled point. Like he's just anyway. And so the fact that they were able to get him and ask him and and place where he was in this documentary, whoever thought to do that, like I don't even know how would they even have thought. Like, let's see what Barack thinks about this and where he was at and how he felt about that uh lack of voting and stuff. And and then the one his comment was uh was not condemning it wasn't whatever it was just it was just honest and kind of yeah i think the one thing that his presence in the documentary did really well was if you went into this not really knowing anything about how big of a deal any of this was in sports his just appearance in the documentary gave it that weight i think (laughs) that you had that you have a former president the former president talking about just how big of a deal all this was. And, and also just the fact that he's from Chicago too, which also yeah. helps. Yeah. That's, that's probably the, thought of it. He's a huge Chicago guy. Of course. That's yeah. how the connection, like that's the connection I really like that they made. Uh, this idea of him as an activist in Chicago, seeing the, you know, seeing the rise of the bulls. And yeah. then how did that affect on his younger social conscience? And I mean, yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't go in on him. He just talks about maybe that he was disappointed, but he also again alludes to this idea that you know he was really the first black athlete to be treated at at like that at that level. And 
he, a lot of people don't understand maybe what that entails and what that, you know, what is the politics of that, so to speak. Yeah. That, that part is one thing about history, the history of this that does kind of rub me the wrong way is that it was almost like Jordan superseded, not by any of his own doing, superseded uh, like being a black man in America. And he was like this other entity, this, again, this superhuman. And again, not not by his doing in any way, not by how he acted or anything, but I feel like then he became, yeah, like this more like godlike figure as opposed to an even greater cultural force as this the, one of the first black men to get the keys to the city, like to actually have this celebrity that, uh, and financial power. The, the and key financial is the financial power. Yeah, of course. Right, right, right. right. The, the he could do what yeah. he wanted. And he could, I just, I, again, Barack talking about that and, and, and the relations and everything like that at the time was really powerful. Okay. Yeah. The security guards, uh, the security guard, John <laughs> Michael Wozniak, um, great hair, fantastic. He looks fantastic. Uh, I thought he played right wing for the Chicago Blackhawks. <laughs> um, this guy was Steve Larmer's uh, trainer. <laughs> he looks uh, yeah. this. I mean, this is another one of those humanizing scenes too. That it's like it, it's like simultaneous competitiveness, but also like he's just hanging out with these guys. These guys are his friends. You know, there is a desire to hang out with normal people if he can. Yeah, and even still, he, he still has to gamble. Oh yeah, <laughs> even if it's for quarters, but he's still got to do it. No, I love that. That's one of my favorite scenes in the whole thing. It's when he's just. What is that game called, by the way? I'm. I, I don't even know what it's called. The game that they were playing. I don't know. It's I was trying quarters. to watch. I was trying to watch. Is it just called quarters? Is it just called? I believe quarters? so. Okay. I think so. I was I trying to watch old episodes of Boardwalk Empire to see all the old timey <laughs> games, all the old timey gambling <laughs> games they were doing. Yeah. So something I didn't. So it's quarters. <laughs> Do we understand the premise of this game? Is it who gets it closer to the wall? Yeah, I yeah, believe I think so. It's like a really basic. You have to. It has to hit the. <laughs> I think it has to hit the wall without. Or it's closest to the wall without hitting it, or closest to the wall after hitting it. One of the. I two. think it's yeah. I think it's closest to the wall before hitting it. That would make the most sense. Yeah. Closest to the wall before hitting. It. If anybody on social media would like to reach out and tell us the exact <laughs> yeah. rules of quarters, uh, I would absolutely appreciate that because yeah. I have no idea how they were doing. It's 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 just one of those, it seems to be one of those complete degenerate games, which I appreciate as an individual who comes from a long line of people who play degenerate games and enjoys them. Um, but again, a, a human thing, something where it's showing him not as Michael Jordan, but at the yeah. same time, being but Michael he Jordan. very quickly the the look on his face when when he beats him, and then he does the <laughs> shrug, and then the look on Jordan's face as he walks out, it becomes yeah. very very Jordan. Like that loss to him could have been could have been a game seven, may he, well have been. Well, if the yeah. guy was a triple team, he'd just shoot out of him. But unfortunately, it's just quarters. <laughs> And uh, all of your all of your holy given skills are no match for his pure quarter essence. Um, one one other thing I wanted to kind of talk about before we get into the meat of our list: uh, John Stockton for even agreeing to do an interview on this show. Like he didn't have to do that because I wouldn't do it because his career and Carl Malone's career are almost entirely now seen through the lens of didn't win a championship, failed to beat Michael Jordan. 
the fact that he was able to actually come out and do it, that's good. I didn't think Carl Malone was going to do it. They use old interviews of him, and it was good. Jerry Sloan, too. I mean, Jerry Sloan. You know what? Anybody who anybody who's, whose career is kind of defined by losing uh, when it counts, if they're willing to come on, I think that's a sign of courage. I appreciate that. Yeah, and I think that it's it's a sign also, yeah, courage and love for the game, and and that they saw it as the cultural it, importance. It, yes, right. And you can look back and be like, oh, those are the Jordan years. That's all that was happening. But there wasn't. There were all these other teams. There were all these other really really good players. It wasn't it wasn't a time where there was just one person completely head and shoulders. There's just like a a great competitive league with a lot of things happening, and then one person that was just that much better yeah the drop off from jordan is intense yeah kind of i kind of liken it to the uh to like the muhammad ali era where he had all these other superstar boxers that he had to go up and face like chavalo and foreman and joe frazier and larry holmes and it's kind of like that where it's like jordan had to get by all of these unbelievable teams like guys like reggie miller stockton and malone and and Isaiah Thomas, and, and, and all of these guys. It's kind of like that. The rivalry is unheralded now. Like, I think the league is probably the best it's ever been from a talent standpoint, just in terms of who's coming up, the amount of players. I mean, super teams are being built. But back then, those were legitimate. I mean, even if you talk to someone, like, see an interview with, like, Kevin Garnett. Yeah. Like, he's he's a, he's a holdover from that era, and they hate, they, they have hate for these other players. Like these were yeah. these were rivalries, and these guys were slugging it out in at that time a very very physical game. So and, well, they 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 that is an underappreciated part about basketball. I think that nobody ever talks about. It's a game where you have to be maximally physical, but not really uh, show it. It, 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 it. Right? It just can't be. It's 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 very. Uh, it's very blended into the movements, but what you don't realize, and they did a good job for to let everybody know, is that it's it's brutal down there, and especially mm-hmm. in the the late '80s, early '90s, all through the '90s, really, it's just war zone. Well, you'd have to play Charles Barkley under the bucket, like yeah, yeah like have yeah. fun yeah. with that. <laughs> yeah, Hakeem Olajuwon, like yeah. out of out of out of control. Anyways, I want to move on, guys. I want to move on to. The list now. We went through the honorable mentions. We're going to move on to the list. The first person I have on our list, uh, the first member of the Last Dance All Documentary team, Phil Jackson. Mm -hmm. Phil Jackson was, in my opinion, easily, easily one of the best characters in this whole thing. Um, First of all, he is an an alien. When When you listen to him talk, I mean, I... And perhaps that's just my you know, over-saturated with productivity Western ideals. And he's bringing that hard Eastern, uh, you know, Eastern uh, spiritualism, which I appreciate. Uh, like the, the Rodman conversation, where he's talking about relating to him as, you know, a guy who left the reservation with the, with the natives. <laughs> I'm like, that is very true, but it's hilarious at the same time. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like I like I love Phil Jackson. I had a, um, I, well, I had no idea about uh, his relationship with Rodman and, and sort of how he was able to kind of bring him, and 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 sort of just how he understood him as a person when sort of nobody else did. And aside from the fact that he's like an unbelievable 
you know, coach and a great manager of like egos and just, you know, it seems to me like that's, that's just kind of part of his, his, his way and his whole philosophy about, about life and, and, and all that stuff really played into how he, how he coached basketball. And I just really, really thought that his, all of his stuff was really cool just to kind of, and also see all those candid moments with him that they were able to get. Oh yeah. With, with the documentary crew. Again, with the access, like just, yeah. Hey guys, in 2020, it turns out in 98, they filmed every minute of every player and coaches. Yeah. Time. <laughs> Enjoy. Yeah. So it was really cool to just see him in his element. My favorite part is when he kicks Jerry Seinfeld out of the locker room. Though. So good. Uh, awesome. <laughs> Awesome. So good. Yeah, he's got the juice, man. He'll get get the sorry, sorry show about nothing. You got nothing yeah. to do in here. Get the fuck out. Right. We, got, this is how, we got winning. We got winning to do. Yeah, we got <laughs> yeah. fucking basketball to play. Yeah. The show ain't about. Tell, tell Kramer we don't have time. This show's about something. <laughs> <laughs> show's I loved, about winning. I loved what Phil. Um, Again, for the access part, just having uh, that much footage, both old and new, on him. Uh, the other thing is, why do you bring a character into a documentary? You want to provide uh, their unique perspective. And then you also want to show what they contributed, if it's, if it's historical. Mm-hmm. And wow, did you understand? Because a lot of the times you talk about it, in, in especially basketball, that the coach you know, does stuff, but maybe not as much as like a football coach where they're directing every single movement of every single player ahead of time and stuff, right? There's a lot, it's a very fluid game. And then you see Phil dealing with these egos, um, the way he talks to uh, his younger players, the way he knows when to interfere, when not to interfere, the way he has Jordan's respect, uh, everybody's respect, really, even though I'm sure there was lots of bumpy roads there. And, um, and without the respect, he couldn't have done it. Like, no. like to have Michael Jordan say, "I'm not going to do it without you." Yeah, that is yeah. that is that's something crazy, and that's thing. a level of power because that's the most powerful athlete on the planet saying that. Yeah. So, you know, and you can't really, and you can't win without you know without Michael Jordan. My, my only, and, and, and that's yeah. respect, but that's also trust. You know what yes, I mean? That's 100%. like earned mutual respect and trust, which is which is super cool. Yeah. And yeah. correct me if I'm wrong though, he's the whole reason for this last dance, right? He's he's the reason that Jordan didn't come back or that the team kind of folded. Like maybe not the reason, but the initial kind of Well, I think it's actually kind of a fair starting assessment. Point, right? It's kind of a starting fair point. Yeah, no, no. I think it's kinda of, it's no no no, it's a fair assessment because Jerry Krause was kind of just like, you know, wanted right. to start over and was like, Hey, you know, you we're not gonna renew your contract after this season. Yeah. And then Jordan was and Scotty Pippen were like, fuck that. And then everyone else ends up jumping ship after that. I mean, like the aforementioned Steve Kerr left. I mean, he is lucky he ended up winning a title uh, in San Antonio, uh, mm-hmm. thus winning more. And, you know, Phil Jackson, I, I, I don't think they had any reason to do that. I think that it's silly. And obviously there was personal problems. I think that is very evident. I've I've rarely seen in sports such an openly antagonistic relationship with a general manager yeah what do you mean between a coach and a gm but sorry like my apologies that. between a coach and even a team and a, and a gm and, and yeah, i, don't, the coach I, don't, and I don't think you will again and and you know 
Kraus, I think, was given a pretty fair shot in this documentary, considering the animosity that was present. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of chance for him to speak, which he, he loved to do. So there's like, you know, a ton of clips in his own words. But um, I do feel a little bit of a soft spot. I don't know if Jerry Kraus had a blueprint. Everybody else has him as a blueprint. Every GM in every sport since then knows not to announce your you'd be super tight lipped. Don't talk to the media about any of your plans. Don't ever talk about next season, all of these things. Right. And I, I think after seeing this, I think they, he's the grandfather. He was the don't do it. Uh, don't do what Donnie don't does. I also, I also think Phil Jackson in this, he's probably maybe other than his relationship with Krauss, which other than them saying that they don't, that they had kind of a falling out, they didn't really go into too much detail about how it went sour. Maybe because Kraus was shopping around for other coaches and, you know, he didn't, he didn't invite him to the wedding or, and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So, but like Phil Jackson's really the only one that doesn't really have any sort of double, double sided personality flaws or, or qualities in the documentary like he's pretty he's just pretty good throughout the whole thing you know whereas like pippin and his the one game where he chose not to go back out there yeah right like things Every, like that everybody yeah. seems to have had everybody almost everybody in this thing has had a pretty epic public because of their position um ego blip you know yeah, like some yeah. sort of incident related to their inability to cope with their emotions and and the pressures and all that stuff yeah and that phil kind of didn't really and i this is why he's I an alien that. this is why he's an yeah. alien you don't see yeah. like everyone has like a moment where you're like i punched my teammate or um fucking i i decided not to go on the floor because the play wasn't going to go through me yeah. and all this kind of stuff and I, he doesn't really have those moments i think his whole thing okay i can agree with like spirit of with eastern uh you know eastern philosophy and like native american spiritualism when it's co-opted and bullshit you know what i mean because i think it's disrespectful i gotta admit he's he lives it you know what i mean yeah, yeah. phil jackson didn't seem full shit at all no it's, no he wasn't and he's not it, in his books either i mean it's hilarious when you're reading 11 rings and he's like and then we need we thought we needed to trade kobe and then the next line is uh, Buddha was sitting on a lotus blossom, and it's like so. It's like a, a contrast, but you, but the guy, he, it's real, and it, and the, I, it's, it's really good. I mean, like he has Native American roots. He's very close to them, um, but he also lives that same respect. He's not the yeah. guy who's like littering in a fucking national park and being like, you know, we have to respect Mother Earth. And right, and, and yeah. some some people say it because and, and are attracted to that because. Uh, they think it sounds cool or they're searching for something or whatever. Like the way Phil Jackson does it is like this, like respect, like when he needed answer answers that were not logically available to him, he relies on this, the on this, on his spirituality. And I think that that's, that's, that that's true. And that it, it's struck me as very authentic. You just, would it be, powerful. sorry, would it be a stretch to say that he was the rock of that team? Yes, he was. Yeah. Jordan was the spark. You, first of all, you need someone to manage all those personalities. That's why I don't know if another coach could have done that. A coach who could do that is someone like Pat Riley, uh, yeah. Popovich, like those kind of individuals. Mm -hmm. But to manage what he was managing and the animosity and the sideshow, because he didn't just have Jordan and his sideshow. He had 
the Rodman, Dennis Rodman sideshow that you yeah. had a player in Scottie Pippen who was justifiably mad about mm-hmm. inadequacy and in pay. That you have an entire team who's giving this random Croatian player a hard time yeah. because uh, because the general manager was openly talking about how he's the future of the Bulls when you have two of the be- two of the five best players in the league on your team. It's yeah. you know, and Vinny, you touched on like this idea of implementing like these ideas of like Eastern philosophy and you know Native Native American spiritual you know spirituality. The application is the whole thing. People yeah. just spout the slogans, right? Right, but he was like living it, and he was like, "We really need to not actually." And I don't know how you live that in that environment. It's the least Zen environment humanly possible. And I yeah. and he brought the Zen, and to to John's point, maybe that makes him the rock of that that of a center to all of that, and kept it kept it moving forward. At least, like the most stable person in that room is Phil Jackson, the one Undead. that has the best understanding of, of, of how to get through this and how to deal with everybody. And, and it all sort of came through Phil Jackson anyway, because he was the coach. But I, I mean, the guy, uh, yeah. the guy was with big teams in New York when he played, I mean, title winning yeah. team, uh, mm-hmm. you know, playing with Willis Reed, Debbie share, like all these players, uh, Bill Bradley, like he's playing with good. He, he was, it was, there were really, really great teams. Uh, the last time the New York Knicks were in fact great. Uh, so he kind of, he already knew going into it what it was. And he had also kind of seen the whole situation unravel and he had also not, I mean, he wasn't the focal point of those Knicks teams. Right. Mm -hmm. So he knew what it was like to play with great players and do what you are. Like he wasn't asking any of the supporting cast to do anything that he himself hadn't done in his career. Yeah. Right. Like it's different when Larry Bird's coaching you and he's like, you got to be a sixth man. It's like, what the fuck do you know about being a sixth man? <laughs> that's not in your that's not in your shit. Yeah. So anyways, I want to move yeah, on. I can guys. barely walk yeah. anymore and he's still holding the ball. Exactly, exactly. Just like exactly. Crazy. <laughs> this guy's this guy's this guy's got a punch ticket for he's got one of those punch cards for coffee places for back sur- <laughs> for back surgeries and he can't even move, but he's still like I I'm carrying up the ball. Um, <laughs> Alright guys, thanks for listening. Just a reminder, if you like this podcast and want to keep hearing it, subscribe and give us a five-star review. And if you're not already subscribing to our YouTube channel or following us on social media, get on it. You will not